Welcome to the TAGT Podcast. Come along as we work to connect the GT community and explore new ways to meet the unique needs of gifted individuals. This is the TAGT Podcast. This podcast was recorded at the TAGT Annual Conference, GIFTED 21. Hello and welcome to the Texas Association for the Gifted and Talented podcast. I'm your host, Michael Fluche. A special thank you to our sponsor, Renzuli Learning. Check them out and get your free trial at RenzuliLearning.com. Today, we're chatting with Stephen C. Smith. Stephen is the STEM Engagement Specialist with NASA's Educator Professional Development Collaborative at Johnson Space Center. His work helps develops, uh, develop the Artemis generation of explorers from historically disenfranchised groups creating culturally responsive lessons, activities, and challenges that engage students previously left out of the amazing kinds of work NASA is doing. Prior to NASA, Stephen worked in K-12 education for 20 years. Stephen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm so impressed you got through my title. I struggle with that one. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm glad to get through it here. we got a few questions for you. Sure. Love to get to know about you and, and your work here. Uh, Stephen, you are so passionate about bringing STEM education to all students, especially your space to int- uh, especially using space to introduce STEM concepts. Why do you think space in particular, the curriculum you're creating and working for NASA, is such a strong entry point for STEM students? Because space is the same for everyone. Hmm. It it is universal. <laughs> <laughs> um, so. Honestly, every culture has stories related to the moon, the sun, the stars, all those sorts of things. And those stories really help you understand those cultures a little bit. So many cultures see a man in the moon. There are several cultures that see a rabbit in the moon and have stories that go along with those. Um, One of my favorite uh, uh, stories around that is the indigenous Australian cultures, the aboriginal cultures there. The lights are so bright there, the stars are so bright there, that they don't use the constellations to draw lines and create pictures. They actually use the negative space that they can see in the Milky Way to see the pictures of the emus and the, the different things that, that, they, that they talk about. And, um, you know, and just like um, Linda Ronstadt said, you know, we're all looking at the same bright sky. <laughs> so I just think it's it's a it's a great equalizer that where you wherever you are you can look up. So many people can enter into that space, and different cultures maybe have different perspectives on it, but everyone can enter in. Absolutely, absolutely, and we're working so hard to make sure that when people talk about dreaming about space exploration, whether that's being an astronaut or an engineer or a teacher or a photographer, that's what, whatever that is that those people can see themselves represented in the people who are doing that. So our 18 astronauts that we've chosen for the Artemis mission don't just look like me, the third whitest dude on the planet, but they look like us (laughs) as a culture, half male, half female, this beautiful array of of colors and and backgrounds and openly LGBTQ, like however you define yourself, you can see yourself in the work that we're doing today. And why why do you think that's so important, especially right now. But I'm sure that that connects with a lot of people. It does. I mean, representation just matters. It matters so much. Um, the, the impact that the movie like The Black Panther had to finally have this positive male figure that, that young people could look up and when they imagine being a superhero, it's somebody who looks like them and sounds like them. 
Um, we do a lot of, uh, a lot of our uh, events and our activities are in both English and Spanish, and we make sure we have native Spanish speakers. So it's not just, you know, me llamo, hola. You know, it's people who sound like them and are from where they're from. Um, because when you have those dreams, you have to be able to, to have something to look to, to look, to look forward to. And so we have these amazing um, pioneers who are, who are forging ahead even though that didn't exist for them. And now they're making that, that possible and plausible for all of us. And it's, it's just incredible. So tell us a little bit more about that program and, and kind of the work that's involved um, in, once you're in it. Sure. So right now we are, we are heading into the, everyone alive right now is part of the Artemis generation. We are launching the Artemis missions, which is very specifically going to land the first woman and the first person of color on the moon in about 2025. Um, Again, so it opens that door. So you know, we'll, we'll have this first person so that there will be a second and a third and a fourth. Um, about every year after that, we're going to be going to the moon for longer and longer and longer periods of time. We're doing that so that we can learn how to be on a planetary body that's not Earth for a long time so that in the late 2030s, we can put that first footprint on Mars. And the person who leaves that first footprint is currently in a class somewhere in our country. They are a student somewhere. And so my edict, my job for NASA, and the thing that I'm reaching out to all of you teachers with is to help me find that foot and make sure that that person is inspired and excited so that when it's their time and they come off that spacecraft, they remember to say my name into the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> So let's connect it back to those educators. What are, what are we looking for? Where do they move into sharing your vision? Absolutely. And the, the cool thing about our resources is they're not one-hit wonders, one-trick ponies. It, it, is, it brings in the, the ELA. It brings in the social background for it. You can't talk about Apollo 8 happening in 1968 and not mention the other things that happened in 1968. It's all a part of one big picture. So with our teachers, especially our wonderful GT teachers, <laughs> pander to the audience, pander to the audience, um, those humanities-based ELA, social studies people can bring context to the amazing STEM content that is so readily associated with us. And to do this mission, it's not all astronauts. We have, I work at the Johnson Space Center with almost 10,000 people. And that's only one of 10 centers across the country. And of all of those 100,000-ish people, 44 are astronauts. Wow. Everybody else is something else. I was a classroom teacher for 20 years. We have photographers. We have video game designers. We have writers. Who, uh, we have uh, TV production people. All of the things that you see that happen, happen because of these amazing people who are doing the work. And very few of us get to go to space because I would just be nauseous the whole time, if we're honest. <laughs> So tell us a little bit more uh, about your story. You talked about being in education. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe even go back to when you were a student. Maybe tell us a little bit about that. Oh, so when I rode my dinosaur to school. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so a million years ago, uh, I, I was a, a twice exceptional kid. Um, I am very obviously, duh, so ADHD. Um, but we didn't really have those. So I, I should have graduated high school in 1990. So we weren't really talking about stimulants. We weren't really talking about those kinds of medications. So... I had to make do in other ways. So I became sort of hyper-organized, uh, which looks a little like OCD today. But, <laughs> but if I put something in a place that it doesn't normally go, 
I don't just forget it. I kind of forget it exists until it comes up again. So I have to have things in a certain way. Um, got through school okay until uh, there was a, a time in my life that things just imploded. Um, things got really bad, and I, I ended up basically homeless. Uh, by the time I was 16 or 17 years old, I, I wasn't always welcome at home, and it sometimes was better that I wasn't. It was just it was not a good situation. Um, I didn't have amazing teachers like the people looking at me now um, who would ask that question. You know, why is this student who was the A student who was participating, who was interested, now not even showing up? Um, instead, they wrote me up for truancy. And over and over again, that happened. And eventually, the, uh, the vice principal pulls me in his office and says, look, Stephen, if you miss class one more time, I'm just going to expel you. So being a 17-year-old boy and really wise, I told him I thought he was number one. And I didn't show up. So I got expelled from high school. Um, there, I was very lucky that there was a program where you could go into the Navy with not a GED, nothing. Um, at 17 years old, my mom signed so that I could go into the Navy. And six months after, I got my GED. Uh, when I got to boot camp, I realized that no one there knew who I was. They, they didn't know that I was this scared wreck of a kid, so I pretended that I wasn't. Uh, and I am from, and I'll say this properly for those of you who are from this place, I am from Louisville, Kentucky. <laughs> I spent six months adding syllables where they belonged and taking them out where they didn't uh, so that I neutralized my accent. And I, I didn't change my name or anything like Flynn Ryder. I, I would have picked something other than Stephen Smith. Um, <laughs> But I just sort of decided on a path, and I, and I headed out to that path. And um, my grandfather had given me this piece of advice when I went into um, boot camp. He said, if you see a line, get in it. And he meant very specifically. When you're in the military, that's where you get your uniform or your whatever. Um, but I just went a step further, and any time an opportunity opened itself up to me, even if it wasn't something that I had planned on or sometimes was even really interested in, I just said yes. So my first degree was from Brigham Young University. The VA paid for it. It's in paralegal studies. I don't care about the law. I never did. But it was a free degree. You don't say no to that. Um, so I just kind of kept going. And now I have five degrees, and I work for NASA. Now, I always have to follow that up with, those of you who can't see, who can't see me, I check all the privilege boxes. And what that means is that there's nothing about me that made any part of that harder. So privilege isn't you had it easy. Privilege isn't that they gave you something. It just means that there's nothing extra holding you back from the things that you're already dealing with. So I know that I got an interview maybe that I might not have otherwise, that someone looked at me and made an assumption in a positive way that maybe I didn't earn. Um, but I'm very thankful for that. And it gave me an in when I worked with students because I taught in the schools that no one else wanted to teach in. I taught the kids that everybody else kicked out of their class. Um, but I was able to reach those kids because I understood. When you're sleeping in my class, I get it. I've been there. When all of a sudden you don't care what photosynthesis is or what, what X is or whatever, there's a reason for that. And I learned to follow up and I learned to ask that questions. And teachers, I will tell you that every day in your class, there is a pair of eyes looking at you and it is me sitting there with all the potential in the universe just begging for you to ask the question. Now, when you ask the question, they will probably tell you to go jump in a lake. It doesn't matter. They are testing you. They are looking to see if you 
are going to be there when you should be because no one else is right now. And if they trust you right now, they are giving you the power to hurt them. Keep asking. It matters so, so much. Because someday, that could be the foot. Um, several times in our podcast, the, the idea of reflection, the idea of sharing your story has come up and the importance of that. Do you find that as you share this story, your story, that people have been able to connect to it, whether it's like you're saying, applying yeah. it to students or maybe educators entering to, into that space as well? Way more often than it should. Uh, when I talk about being an adult survivor of childhood you know, sexual abuse and physical abuse and, and like not liking to be touched and, and all those sorts of things, way more than it should, someone comes up to me and says, you know, me too, like I get that. I, I've been there, I, I felt that. Um, so there are unfortunately more of us than there should be. And most specifically, I don't know a single female person who doesn't have that story. That story where they felt helpless, where they felt weak, where they were touched and treated, it, I don't know any. And that is awful. Uh, so we as teachers need to create those cultures that are safe spaces because we may be the only safe space. And I, as a teacher educator, have to create that for them and teach those teachers who have been through some stuff how to use that to really reach your kids. Use that story to help your kids know that you understand them, especially when you're the teacher teaching kids who don't look like you. So let's talk about teaching those students. And as an educator, the NASA EPDC program offers a ton of free resources for educators and family. Uh, tell us a little bit about those resources sure. and, and, and maybe how we get plugged into that. Yeah. So we have uh, amazing educators um, all over the country. So every center has an EPDC specialist. I happen to be the one for Johnson Space Center. Um, they're, they're all over. And we have a wonderful um, uh, another specialist, uh, Dr. Christina Collins, who's here at the, the conference as well, and she's amazing, does so much wonderful work in uh, culturally responsive teaching and, and that, uh, that line of questioning. Um, we have webinars every day, Monday through Thursday, all through the year. Uh, we have a whole system of asynchronous badges that you can go in. Some of them are pedagogy, some of them are just a cool rocket experiment kind of thing. And uh, we have ones for your students as well. So you can actually assign the badge to your students and then you get those grades. You get to, to kind of um, uh, talk to your students about those and work through them. Um, we, have, we have created so many free resources for teachers, and all of them are standards aligned. Now, they're all NGSS standards aligned because I know, I know this is going to come as a shock. But there are states in the United States that are not, in fact, Texas. Um, <laughs> I know. I know. It shocks everybody. Uh, but luckily, the TEKS are also NGSS aligned, if we're honest. <laughs> so whatever thing you're studying, we have the resources to, to, to back you up. And it's not, it's not the resources that you do after the STAR test, when you have nothing else to do. It's teaching the things that you're already teaching in a way that is interesting for the students, but also interesting for you as the teacher. Because if you're engaged, then they're engaged. That's where I was going to go with that is uh, how have the, the response has been to using and implementing these things in terms of maybe building teacher self-perception of being able to do this? Absolutely. Uh, we are very careful to include all the background material and accoutrement that you might need in order to do these things because sometimes teachers don't feel like they have the background or the expertise to do these things, so we give it to you. And then also there happens to be this 
super tall, gangly, goofy-looking dude who has a penchant for um, bow ties, who is available at, at your behest to answer questions, to point you to things, to come to your class and talk, to teach your teachers, to teach your students. Um, we do that as well. I'd like to make the note that Stephen is currently wearing a bow tie for all of our <laughs> listeners out there. <laughs> well, this seems like a great resource for educators to go to and to lean on. And, and as you're saying, not just do once we're done with the other work, but to make a part of our work. And that interdisciplinary work has got to have such a great impact on our students. 100%. Because you're teaching the whole student. So you're saying at NASA they don't just give you a multiplication chart to fill out? That is 100% true. Not a lot of rote questions that right. happen at NASA on a day-to-day basis. <laughs> Where can our listeners find out more about you and the work that you do? Uh, so we are, you can go to nasa.gov STEM, S-T-E-M. That's a really wonderful repository for all of our many resources. The, the, the keyword search there is amazing. Um, and then the EPDC, we are at... Uh, txstate-epdc.net I think (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good Thanks again for being here Stephen C. Smith We're so glad you could join us If you're interested in learning more about today's guest and their work check out the links included with the podcast post And if you're not yet a member of the Texas Association for the Gifted and Talented we hope you'll join our community by visiting txgifted.org and clicking on the join tab Liking what you hear on this podcast? Continue the learning with a TAGT membership. Members have access to a slew of exciting professional learning opportunities, discounts on conferences, Pulse, the TAGT Weekly GT News Brief, TAGT Connect, and so much more. By joining TAGT, you'll also gain access to TAGT's resource platform, Tempo Plus. Explore templates, videos, tip sheets, audio recordings, and so much more at the click of your finger. You'll get all of this for just $70 a year. Not looking to commit to a full TAGT membership just yet? No problem. Enjoy specially curated digital content as an e-subscriber for just $40 a year. Ready to join? Go to txgifted.org to learn more today. Hello and welcome to the Texas Association for the Gifted and Talented Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Fluche. A special thank you to our sponsor, Renzuli Learning. Check them out and get your free trial at renzulilearning.com. Today we're chatting with Todd Nesloni, the Director of Culture and Strategic Leadership for the Texas Elementary Principals and Supervisors Association. He has also served as an award-winning principal of a pre-K through 5 grade campus of over 775 students in a rural town in Texas. He has been recognized by the White House, John C. Maxwell, the Center for Digital Education, National School Board Association, the BAMIs, and more for his work in education and with children. He hosts the podcast, Tell Your Story, and is very active on social media under the moniker Tech Ninja Todd. Welcome, Tech Ninja Todd. <laughs> Thanks for having me here. <laughs> uh, glad to have you. We've got a few questions for you uh, here today. You're passionate about creating strategic cultures in education. What does the term strategic culture mean to you when you think about schools and districts? 
You know, when I think about any kind of school building that we're entering, whether it's a campus or central office, it needs to be a place where people want to be. We can talk all day long about having amazing lessons and trying to increase attendance, but the fact of the matter is, if the adults don't want to be there, the kids aren't going to want to be there. And we have to make sure that everybody feels seen and valued, because that's how you create a culture that encourages people to stand up and speak up, encourages them to try and take risks, and when the kids see the adults doing that kind of thing, it naturally encourages them to want to do the same. So it's hard to have students move into that space if we don't have a culture that enables teachers to move in and to feel comfortable in that space as well. Oh, yeah. And it's not just the teacher that that student is going to have that year. I always talk to educators all the time who tell me, you know, our culture at our school is so toxic. Um, The principal, it's all their fault. And, you know, I was a teacher one time who also sometimes blamed my administrator um, until I became an administrator and realized, oh, I can't control everybody. Um, And I also worked underneath four very different principals. So I know the role that the principal does play. I worked underneath the principal who was a screen Um, I loved her, but she never screamed at me, so we were okay. Um, The second principal I worked for, I testified in her trial, and she went to jail, so I always tell people, beat that. Um, The third one was amazing. I wanted to be just like her, and the fourth one that I worked under was like the devil straight out of hell. So I've seen four kinds, but I know that the principal doesn't control the full culture because I know as a student coming into that school or as an adult walking into that school, one angry cafeteria lady can ruin an entire year. One rude front desk receptionist can make that family never come back to your school again. And one hateful team member can make you second guess the career you've dreamed of your whole life. And so when people tell me it's toxic because of somebody else, what I always remind them is the only person you can control is you. So what are you doing to make things better? And if when you're asked that question, if you have to sit back because you don't have an answer, you're not making the culture better, which has to mean you're making it worse. So even though you aren't one of those negative, toxic, whatever people that you are complaining about on your campus, if you're not doing anything to make it better, you're part of the problem. So if that culture and climate is not good, you can't sit back and say, we'll wait till everyone else fixes it. Exactly. And, and again, I don't want people to think that I have this really simplistic view of, oh, when you start being friendlier, everybody's going to be nice to you and it's going to be amazing. I mean, that's clearly somebody who's never worked at a school before. I've never worked on a campus where I liked everybody. Um, but you learn how to fake it and you learn how to make it work around certain people and how to treat people with respect and what that looks like and how to know when to walk away and when to employ some other skill sets. So, I mean, it's not something that I'm going to say you're going to fix the culture all on your own, but it is like a snowball. You can begin that little change that more and more people pick up. Such an important message for for all educators, but let's talk about gifted and talented and and maybe specifically GT educators moving into that same arena of Mm -hmm. culture and improving the culture. How does that connect to to those teachers specifically? You know, I think when you talk about any kind of group, whether that's special education, GT, ESL, it's very easy to feel othered. It's very easy to feel left out, to feel unsupported, to feel misunderstood. And when you work in that space for so long, you can sometimes inadvertently let it allow you to become a negative mindset. And so when I think about a group like GT, 
I think of so many things that are worth celebrating in that. GT is one of those side groups that is so easy to celebrate stuff. And you've got kids of all different kinds of learning types. Um, because I think sometimes for educators and administrators who don't work with gifted and talented students, they have a very narrow view of what a gifted and talented student looks like. Um, but when you educate yourself and spend time with them, you realize how varied that is. It's just like, like I mentioned the other groups. It's just like with ESL students. You know, you live in Texas, everybody thinks those are kids who speak Spanish. And again, that's a very closed-minded view of what an ESL student is. But then you've got students who fit in the special education model, which that is a very wide range, too. And so I think it's all about just making sure that you're amplifying the great things that are happening around you, um, and you are your best advocate. You are the one who can tell your story. And what I always tell educators is if you are not telling your story, that's fine. Somebody else will tell it for you, and they may not tell the version you want. Mm -hmm. A question many school and district leaders have these days is on how to keep motivation and resilience strong amongst, amongst their teachers, right? How do you encourage educators to build trust, resilience, and collaboration with one another? And why is that so important? Well, you know, I think this question has two answers. One is when it's not COVID, and one is when it is COVID. Um, when it is COVID, it's like, you know what? You just got to throw everything in there to keep showing up and <laughs> latch on to everybody around you to hold tight because this thing is killing all of us emotionally and, and, and physically and mentally. Um, but just in general, what I think is valued people work harder. And that doesn't look the same for every person. Um, recognizing people doesn't look the same for every person. Um, I'm the kind of personality where I love recognition, but please do not do it in front of a whole group because I will hate you for the rest of my life and I will slash your tires on the way out of the parking lot. <laughs> because I'm like, it's so embarrassing that everybody's looking at me because I'm all about being the center of attention until you make me the center of attention. Mm. Um, but I still like being recognized but I like it in a different way. And so when you truly take the time to get to know the people that you work with, you can always find something worth celebrating in that person, worth amplifying in that person, um, and letting them know you're seen, you're valued, you're respected, you have a seat at the table, and if a seat was forgotten for you, I want you to knock that table over and pull your seat up where the table's set because you deserve a spot there. And I think too often depending on what your title is in education, we limit ourselves because people above us may not acknowledge the gifts we bring and may not think that we can make great change or big impacts or have a lot of influence. But it's just like when educators tell me they don't see themselves as leaders. And that just breaks my heart because I think the moment you walk in that building, hundreds of eyes are watching you, hundreds of ears are listening to. That fits the exact definition of what a leader is. And so no matter where you go, you are leading people to greatness or you're leading them to somebody they want nothing to do with and nothing to be like. Mm -hmm. Such a powerful message that I feel like probably inspires so many. Can I ask you, who's inspired you, whether it's from your uh, time as a student yourself or kind of on your educational journey in general? Who's, who's inspired you? You know, I can think about people throughout my journey that have inspired different pieces. Um, I don't think that there's been anybody in my life who was my one big inspiration that said everything in course. Um, but as I look at different moments, I'm like, I know the person that made me want to do this. I know the person that led me here. Um, and of course, it goes back to my own childhood with my mom and seeing the journey she took and the battle she faced to get where she was and then watching her become an educator and seeing what 
I wanted to emulate through that example. Um, but along the way too, you know, I always tell people social media saved my career and saved my life just because it allowed me to find others who were like me. Because when you are an outlier, when you do push boundaries, when you try to do things differently, there's a lot of people who will stand around and go, can you please stop? They're going to make us do that next. And we, we don't want that. Like, you don't, you don't need to be doing that. That's too much. Or you're too extra. And so I always felt like maybe there is something wrong. Maybe I do need to pull myself back. And then when I got connected on social media, it allowed me to connect people from all over the world and allowed me to find my tribe, to find my people who could encourage me, who could challenge me, who could grow me. Um, and every single step in my career is because of those people I allowed myself to meet. There's so much of that story that I feel like really connects well to what what students with potential go through as well as going through that and sharing themselves and having people enter into that. Uh, do you see that that is that something that you think, uh, especially people in our line of work, really connect to and, and maybe a mirror for their students? Oh, definitely. You know, I think everybody wants to belong. Um, no matter how much some people may act like they love being the only one who does this or that, we all want to belong. We all want to feel a part of something. We all want to feel like we matter. And so that comes when we build community um, and when you find those people. And what I always tell people is with your circle that you're creating, it cannot be a yes circle. Because when you create a circle around you where it's only people who build you up and tell you yes all the time, you create a false sense of reality and you inflate your own ego without even seeing it happen. Mm -hmm. In my circle, I ensure that there are always people who are going to tell me no, who are going to tell me that's not a good idea, who are going to tell me that was inappropriate, you need to apologize, it's not time for that now, who say those kind of things. And I listen because I know it's from a place of love. I know it's not from a hateful place or, or a vengeful spot. And so when I tell people, you know, when you go out and you find your people, don't find the echo chambers who all believe the exact same things you do. Find those people who do not look like you, who weren't raised like you, who don't have the same religious beliefs as you. Those people are the ones that you will find the deepest connections with and it will help grow you into a better person, which therein makes you a better educator because I guarantee you, you do not have everything in common with your students. Mm, what a challenging philosophy. And you have that unique lens of being able to see that as both a teacher and a, mm -hmm. and, and a principal. How, yeah. how, did, how did you learn from both of those realms to kind of get to where you are today? Well, I learned that, you know, I think all of us think that we know what each other's job does. Um, you know, I started my career as an instructional aide while I went to college, um, and then I became a teacher and then a principal, and now I'm a director of culture and strategic leadership. And, you know, when you're in those positions as an IA, I always thought, Psh, I don't know what the teachers do. This is going to be so easy when I get my classroom. And the first day, I was like, oh, crap, there's so much more that I didn't see. And then when I was a teacher, I thought, I know what the principal does. And then as the principal, I realized there's a lot that goes on in my daily life as a principal that I can't tell anybody because of all the FERPA laws, every, all the, mm. everything that it exists. I mean, the amount of CPS calls I dealt with on a daily basis, the amount of police calls, of angry parents. It was like, I can't go to my staff and go, do you know how many times I got cussed out today? That may be why I'm a little bit touchy today. Um, but, and then as a director of culture, I realized there's a whole different viewpoint. And so it's just that mindset of having, always coming to the table, knowing I don't know everything, I'm not going to act like I know everything. And I want to always give everybody a fresh slate. You know, so I told my students every year, I don't care who you were last year. I don't care what reputation you come with. When you come into my classroom, you get a clean slate. 
We get to start anew, and that's going to happen every single day. Because I believe that's what everyone deserves. Because the moment you hold a grudge, you're not only hurting them, you're hurting yourself. And, and I don't ever want to stifle anybody's growth, but I don't want to stifle my own growth either. And so forgiving is not easy, but it goes to that ultimate saying of when you forgive somebody else, it frees you more than it frees them. Mm-hmm. That was a lot of roundabout in that answer, but... <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. Um, and, and again, I feel like there's a, a powerful message there for all students. And again, looking through this from uh, the lens of, of serving students with mm-hmm. potential, I feel like that message probably yes. really hits well with educators in that. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, so when it comes to uh, people who are working in gifted education, what advice do you have for them, especially as they're listening to this and their kind of takeaways and moving forward? Where do we get started with some of this? How can I go out and plug in some of this into my own world? Yeah. You know, I think as a gifted educator, you can often feel um, very alone on your campus because there usually aren't a lot of you um, or even in the district uh, and misunderstood, too, like I said earlier, because I think you can get mislabeled over what a gifted educator is and what the gifted students are. Um, And so I think the best thing is, is finding your people who will ground you. Um, that's what it all goes down to. And, and I don't, you know, when I started speaking, I was always talking about a particular social media network that everybody needed to be on because that's what I was on. And then throughout my journey, I realized, well, I made friends on Twitter and then I found educators on Instagram that were totally different that I liked connecting with. And then I was in a Facebook group where I made new friends there. And then I went to a conference where I was by myself but I had all these friends I got to go out to dinner with because I knew them on social media. And so now I never go to a conference anywhere, even though I'm alone every time I travel, where I don't know people. And that I get to have that circle of connection. And my wife often says it's it's like very it was very scary online dating is what she described it as <laughs> until she started meeting some of my friends. And she's like, oh, they're not weirdos. Like, I just thought you were meeting these really weird people who like, you're becoming friends with. You never actually met them in person. Um some of them are weird, but overall, uh, but yeah, I think for gifted educators, I would say you will burn out much quicker if you don't find your people. Mm-hmm. And social media is the easiest and free way to find them and create those relationships. And many times you have to take that first step and it's terrifying and you will make mistakes and people won't respond and you'll take it personally, but you just keep trudging along and you will find your people. So to start to wrap this up, fill in the blank. The best way to foster student potential is? Empower them to believe in themselves. Where can our listeners find out more about you? I'm on all the social media networks, but the easiest place is going to my website, toddnesloni.com. Don't have to worry about spelling it. Just Google it. It's the only Todd Nesloni that will come up. (laughs) Thanks again to our guest today, Todd Nesloni. We're so glad you could join us. If you're interested in learning more about today's guest and their work, check out the links included with this podcast post. And if you're not yet a member of the Texas Association for the Gifted and Talented, we hope you'll join our community by visiting txgifted.org and clicking on the Join tab. Renzuli Learning is proud to support the Texas Association for the Gifted, their podcast and gifted education nationwide. Be sure to visit our website at renzulilearning.com and sign up for your free trial to experience firsthand how we deliver a rigorous, personalized learning environment for all students pre-K through 12 and how we align our resources to the TEKS and provide student-driven project-based learning that unpacks the natural passions and abilities in all children.